One of the ways that God talks to us is by arranging an introduction, a meeting with someone who's going to tell you something that you need to know. Sometimes it might be for business or for personal growth, confirmation of something, reinforcement of a lesson. But in this case, the Holy Spirit was going to teach me something about the satanic New World Order plans, about something in the book of Revelation. I had no idea that was going to happen. I was a junior at the University of Pennsylvania, riding my mountain bike down Chestnut Street. And I see a table with a bunch of people around it, two, two tables. And I wonder, well, what's that? What's going on there? Maybe I should check that out. So I go back and I hear somebody say, da 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 Lyndon LaRouche. And I laughed. I laughed out loud, and I started to walk away. And one of the women quickly came over and grabbed my arm. See, this is the thing. They were busy. She had plenty of people to whom she could preach the Lyndon LaRouche message. But she had, God moved her. She came over, she grabbed my arm. Hey, why'd you laugh? I said, well, everybody knows that Lyndon LaRouche is a nut job. And she said, Oh, was that so? I said, yes, absolutely. But I was already losing confidence. (laughs) And she said, well, uh, tell me something about Lyndon LaRouche that makes him a nut job. I said, well, um, I don't know. Just everybody's, he's crazy. Everybody knows it. That's it. She said, well, that's what people want you to think. They say his name in derogatory manner, and they just condition you to think that he's a fool so that you won't listen to him. She said, But they're not giving facts because that's not what they need. They know they can prevent you from hearing his message just by deceiving you. That's an important lesson right there. I wanted to to include that today. And I said, well, okay, maybe I'll come. Maybe I'll come. So I thought, yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to go see that. If they don't want me to hear, then maybe I should hear. You know, her, her argument got to me. But also, God was doing something. So I remembered, and later that night I came back, 6 o'clock, I was told I would hear Lyndon LaRouche deliver this message, and I expected that the man himself would be there. And I wanted to measure him up and see what he, what he was about, and if I'd really been deceived into thinking some guy was, was a nut job when he was just a regular guy. So we show up, and they will out a television. So the man is not present, but they show a video, and he explains how the world is in a fluff economy, and he wants that the, the economy should be revised, and it's not really germane to the whole message. But while I was, but when I arrived to the place, there was a small queue of students and other people. You know, Philadelphia is a city of intellectuals, and there are a lot of interesting things happening all the time, and this was one. And people were lined up, signing in to sit in this room, the room packed out, and when I got to sign my own name, I just thought, what if this guy really is crazy? And my name might be on this thing, showing that I came to listen to some crazy guy. And people all be crazy by association. It just shot through my mind real fast. So I just spontaneously, impromptu, invented a bogus name. And I wrote in J.P. Smith. I just made that name up on the spot. So I went and sat down, took a seat, listened to the show, as I said. But during... The discussion on the video, on the television, something happened. Now, later in life, I had a a vision similar to this one. It's what happened to me twice, and this was the first time. Uh, It was as if all of the lights in the room dimmed. 
But as this happened, I also understood no one else is seeing this, only me. I understood it spiritually, and I understood it by observing the others in the room. Nobody else reacted. And as the lights came down, a white light rose up and glowed off of three other people and myself. And as I saw that, I understood. So this is a word of knowledge. I understood that the four of us, when this discussion ended, would meet in the middle of the room and we would have a conversation. So Lyndon LaRousse finishes his teaching and the woman comes over. She said, does anybody have any questions? Packed room. Not a single question. She says, wow, that has never happened before. I've been doing this for three years, five shows a week. No, there's never been a group with no questions. She said, but if you have no questions, you're free to go. Everyone stands up. And again, no chit chat, no side chat. Everybody just walks out like drones. And the four people on whom I saw the lights, we all came to the center of the room. I was kind of stunned. I was like, but this is really happening. And I'm going to follow up and see what, what this conversation that the vision promised, what it's going to be about. So we came to the middle of the room. Nobody introduces themselves. And this really big fellow, he's got a, one of those uh, business suits on with the, the brown leather on the elbows, very popular at that time uh, with the academics. It was a professor, um, a PhD student, a grad student kind of a look. It was the cool in thing to have was this jacket. And he had one of these, very large man. And um, he said, I am a tenured professor of economics across the street. And he poked his thumb over his shoulder toward the University of Pennsylvania, where I was a student. And he said, and I just want you to know that everything that man said, economically speaking, is correct. It's true. That's, all, that's solid economics. And I said, okay. And that guy just turned and walked away without another comment. He didn't give his name. We didn't give ours either. It wasn't like we all came to meet each other. It was as if each person had a message to deliver, and they delivered it and then left. The next person was a very old man, very quiet, a small man, in a suit, well-worn, brown, simple. He had some polished brown leather shoes on, very well-manicured white hair, a white goatee beard, and a fedora. And he says, my name is Vicente. And I lived in Italy under Mussolini before the war. He said, in this economy, this fluff economy, that's exactly what we had before the war. And Mussolini, he sent all the young men to die in Ethiopia. He said he had armor and he could have sent it, but he didn't because he wanted those young men to die. And Vicente said, yeah, you know, just to get them off of the unemployment rolls. But later, the Holy Spirit taught me the real reason they do that is because they're offering the men who die their blood to their demons, to the demons that they serve. That's why. Even the men from their own country where they live, the men on, who die on both sides, that's, again, that's a segue. So he says, you know, I'm from Italy. This is what it was like before war. The fluff economy led to world war. That was his comment. But again, it's something God wanted to be said into this conversation, and then he left. And the last person, besides me, I was the fourth, the third person was a short female, about my age, maybe a little younger, 
long black hair, pretty face. And she says, hi, my name is JP. And she gave her last name. It's Italian. That's all you need to know. And she said, uh, this was a very interesting conversation, wasn't it? I said, yeah. She said, I know more about this, but I don't want to talk about it here. Would you care to go somewhere else? So we went and had a coffee. And we had more coffees after that. Nothing romantic, just friends. And um, (laughs) this girl, she used to love to stand up in a restaurant and start singing. And she could sing like an angel. I'm telling you, this girl was a glamorous singer. And everybody in the restaurant would clap afterward. Again, we're just friends. She's telling me in bits and pieces, and I'm trying to get the whole story, but she it's like pulling teeth. She doesn't want to, she's letting it out reluctantly. But eventually, this is the story I get from her. The summer before she and I met at this LaRouche meeting, she served an internship, three-month summer internship in Brussels, Belgium. And she worked for these men who, at the time, she described to me, she said, I won't tell you who they were. Because I kept saying, well, who is this? She said, I can't tell you. I won't tell you. And I said, well, who are I said, listen, this is all I'll say. There's 13 men. They all wear suits and black bow ties. I said, well, I have no idea. She said, you know who I mean? I said, no, I have no idea who you mean. That means nothing to me. Well, today I can tell you that is the Satanic Council of 13. That's who that is. In Brussels, Belgium. So... She tells me that these guys have a plan to move the world from a cash system to a system completely devoid of any cash. That grabbed my attention because I'd read about something like that in the Bible. Everybody required the mark of the beast in order to buy or sell. So she goes down to Brussels and they're having her help, they're having her prepare paperwork and documents, and they're discussing, they're having meetings, they're discussing their plan on how they're going to do this, how they're going to move people. So this is 1998 that I met her. So summer of 98, she has this internship. And they were saying, well, we're, first we'll just put it in maybe animals, the people will become comfortable with it. But we need to get this RFID chip onto identification cards. And we need to start with the students at all the top colleges and universities because those people, around the time that we decide to get get these laws passed, to, to have this thing put in place, they're going to be the mayors and the governors and the state senators and the federal senators and and representatives. So we need to start with those guys. So three months later, after I meet this girl, I get a letter from the university. Hey, you get, we're giving new ID cards. There's been a lot of muggings and things. And they were always pushing these muggings in the school paper and around campus. Don't cross 40th Street. Well, I lived on 45th Street. <laughs> you know, but don't cross 40th Street. It's dangerous. Bad things can happen to you. And, you know, a girl in my class got carjacked on 41st Street. So, you know, it, there was some truth to it, but it was wildly exaggerated. Well, listen, what we're going to do is you get this card. You can put money on your student ID card. And then if you get mugged, we just cancel that card, issue you a new one. You don't lose a penny. No problem. And they'll stop mugging students because they'll know that students don't have money. So they put up machines everywhere. You can go put the machine in. You can go put your card in, put in some cash, 
and it would add the cash to your card, to your student ID card. I thought, well, I don't like this. Now, at the same time, I had some small businesses that were helping me pay my tuition, and they came in there and said, we're going to give you these free things. You can scan a, a student ID card, and you could pay for things with it. At this time, back in 98, credit cards were not a really huge thing then. Not, not everyone had credit cards. Most people did not. I was like, no, nah, no, nah, this ain't free. They're like, no, no, it's totally free. We're, we're going to install this thing for free as long as you want. I said, no, nah, there's no free lunch. I said, nothing is for free. I said, there's some cost at the end of this. I said, I guarantee it to you. I promise you. You know, I didn't start quoting scripture to them, but I really should have. But at the time, that wasn't who I was. So this is what she tells me, that they're going to transition it. They want to start with the students so that when they have the vote, these people are comfortable with it. They've been indoctrinated, so to speak. They've been eased into it, made comfortable that they will just say, ah, it's not a big deal. This is what she's telling me. They'll just say, ah, you know, it's not a big deal. We know what this is. You know, this is what this Council of 13 people are saying. Well, it's, it's what she's telling me, they say. So there's a little bit of, you know, loss between her and me and now to you. So, but you get the idea. And they said, and then we'll start putting into convicts, we'll put it into violent criminals, maybe into special parts of different groups, put it into the military. I, know, I don't know if you know this, but they've been building a whole satellite system designed to track soldiers to avoid friendly fire deaths. So again, you see Desert Storm, big emphasis. Anytime there's a friendly fire death, they really blow it out of proportion. They really make sure everybody knows about that because they want you to think that friendly fire is a real serious problem. It is, of course, a problem because they have a solution. They're going to say, we have this solution. We have this satellite system. We're going to put chips or something into all the people, some kind of a something we're going to put in them that every one of these soldiers can be tracked. Well, it's not only going to have tracking, it's going to have other features as well. They're going to blow this thing up. The Holy Spirit has told me that the wicked, when these things come out, they're going to line up for it. They're going to want to be the first on their block to have it. The wicked are going to run for all this new technology, and it's going to be worse and worse, more and more invasive. And by the time they figure out what it really is, unless we forewarn them, it's going to be too late. So that's what they said. We're going to slowly move it into one group and then into the next group until we get it into everybody who's willing. Now, a few years later, 2004, I'd gone to Ukraine. The Holy Spirit told me I'd meet my wife there. I did. We're married more than 16 years now. But 2004, I went there to meet her. And she all happened to have two of her friends who were missionaries from Belgium were there in Ukraine. And the Holy Spirit said, tell them the story about this girl that you met. So I tell them the whole story. And at the end, one of the men says, yeah, we know that. I said, what do you mean you know that? How do you know that? He said, well, in Belgium, or I'm sorry, in Brussels, they have a building. And inside that building are servers designed to track every human being on the planet. And he said, do you know what they call that building? I said, no, what do they call it? They call it? The beast. <laughs> it's the mark of the beast. They call it's it's somehow the mark of the beast will be a tracking system. 
It will be a financial system. It will be something that helps soldiers. They're going to roll a lot of things into one to tempt people. Ooh, I want to be that. Ooh, I want to imagine that. People that don't obey God, don't listen to God, they're going to be at risk. That's why we have to work now before it's night and no man can work. We have to work now. My friends, don't take the mark of the beast. Refuse it at every turn. The things they're doing now are already things that play into this system. Refuse them. You can see my other podcasts. I talk about it. I'm sure I'll be talking about it more in the future. You want to avoid these things and you want to forewarn your loved ones, your friends, your neighbors. Great evil is going to come out of this. God sends me many dreams and visions. I've been watching them come true for years. In the beginning, I was shocked. I was stunned. I couldn't believe it, but it was incredible. And it helped me to change my own life. It helped me to change the lives of people around me. Seek God because your benefits will overflow into those you love. Seek God, pray, or be defeated.